Good morning again. Take your Bibles, please, and open up to Galatians chapter number 5. If you don't have one with you, uh, feel free to grab that pew Bible there, and we'll follow along together. Last week, we finished up verses, with verses 13 through 15, and we saw this call for us to steward the freedom that we had. Remember last week, for freedom, Christ has called us free. There was the cost of freedom. We looked at Jesus Christ and his suffering and what he paid for our freedom. And then the call of freedom. The fact that we as God's people would not use our freedom for selfish consumption, but selfless service. That's the distinction of the spirit-filled life. And so out of that, we flow right into where we are this morning. Our walk matters. The way that we walk matters. How we steward our freedom matters. How we love matters. How we treat one another matters. I want to say up front as we deal with this text this morning, being in step with the Spirit and looking at the fruit of the Spirit, we're not talking about the gifts of the Spirit, where somebody is gifted in this area or gifted in that area for the work of the Lord. No, we're talking about the bunch of fruit that every believer has as they walk in the Spirit. What does that even mean? This is not a call to, now this might sting just a little bit, but it's not a call to a deeper life in Christ. It's not a call to a higher plane of spirituality. This is basic Christian living. Now, we've traded what we understand to be the Christian experience for what we see around us, but when you open this book, which contains the words of life, and discover what it is that God says and how he thinks about us, and how he describes us, Wow. And how he knows we're completely incompetent, sorry, (laughs) and incapable of doing anything worth anything unless he's working in us and through us. Wow. Why would we ever think we could figure it out on our own without living in the word? I want to give you a few headers this morning as we navigate the text. Forgive me for not a long intro. I'm sure I won't get much pushback on that. Let's dive right in this morning and look at this normal Christian life of keeping in step with the Spirit. Let me give you a header for the first little bit here. It's really simple, one over the other. We're gonna look at this first passage, these first few verses, and we're going to see that there are, in fact, um, two things, two dynamics represented here, and, and one is over the other. Verse 16, the call is to walk by the Spirit, and if we walk by the Spirit, do you see it? You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So let me explain the verse to you. Are you ready? If you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Explanation? Yeah? If you're doing this, you're not going to struggle with this. It's pretty self-explanatory. I'll unpack it a little bit. The the Greek word walk means to walk around after someone or to walk in a manner in a particular direction. Now, here's what we know as Christians. 
We know that the Holy Spirit, by the way, that's not a force. I know you're all watching Obi-Wan and, and Star Wars, but we're not talking about the force being with us. We're talking about the third person of the triune God, God who is chosen and, and exists as God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy, say it, Spirit. That's the Spirit we're mentioning this morning. The Holy Spirit brings a whole new way of life to us. When we say yes to Jesus, we're saying yes to the Holy Spirit. We're also saying no to ourselves. When we turn to Jesus, we are turning away from love of self. When we turn to Jesus, we're turning away from love of the world. We're turning away from self-righteously justifying our own actions. The Holy Spirit calls us and brings us to a new and living way. I mean, it is an incredible life, the believer's life in Jesus, not without heartache, heartbreak, and trial, but we are tapped into victory. We're not fighting for victory, we're fighting from victory, which was won at Calvary. What a blessing. The Holy Spirit calls us and equips us and guides us to no longer walk in darkness, but to walk in the marvelous light. To no longer walk toward death and destruction as culture has their pedal on the gas today, but we walk in the direction of new life. No longer walking with blinders on, but with eyes wide open to the mercies of God, we see the reality that truth is knowable, it has a name, and it's absolute, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. This word picture of walking really points to the way we conduct our lives. I want you to keep that in mind because the world has you at a frenetic pace running until you're almost out of breath and Jesus is calling you to walk with him. Come follow me, he says. Walk with me. You have these new desires and a new power to please God. It's what the psalmist was envisioning in Psalm 37 when he said, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. Not make your dreams come true. He writes new desires on your heart. It's a new hardwiring of a new system. You get a heart transplant and a blood infusion and it's all holy. What a blessing. Commit your way to the Lord Translation, keep in step with the Spirit and He will act. He will work through you so you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 17, what's the big deal? Well, the desires of the flesh, the verse says, are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. Let's leave that verse up on the screen for just a moment. Look at it in your Bible there. There is mutual antagonism here big words for little ears there's always a struggle right this is worse than just siblings not getting along I, I'm gonna try it here John what you think right here okay so I saw a social media post this week of a dad saying I'm convinced I'm raising a biblical family and then he looks deeper in the camera and said Cameron says because I think the siblings are gonna kill each other so <laughs> That's not exactly what we're talking about here, but siblings can go at it, right? We know that. Well, not, no families in here, but families you know of at other places, right? <laughs> siblings can go at it. But that's not what we're talking about, this antagonism. The, this is not a fair fight. The, the flesh and the spirit never ends in a stalemate. One always wins. 
There's an old poem. I think I've butchered it before in here. I'll try not to do that right now. But it says, two natures beat within my chest. One is cursed, one is blessed. One I love, one I hate, but the one I feed will dominate. There's a way and a walk that we choose. Are we going to walk in the flesh? Or are we going to walk in the spirit? The Holy Spirit is the victor. If we yield to the spirit, we find ourselves triumphing and walking in that incredible triumph that God has called us to. Verse 18, but if you are led by the spirit, of course, Paul is gonna fit this in here. If you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. It's not on the screen. But I just want you to notice, like every chance he gets in Galatians, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he keeps bringing them back up and saying, get away from this ritual law. You don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to do these sacrificial parts of the law. God is calling you to be animated by the Holy Spirit. A lot of talk about the Holy Spirit. Well, how does he lead us, Pastor Chad? How does he guide us? What does he do? Well, Jesus addressed that in John chapter number 16. Because if you listen to a lot of different teaching today, or you pick up just popular books that sell, you would think the Holy Spirit is a force. And you would think the Holy Spirit has come to help you live your best life now. I wonder how God feels about us saying that when like, he's created a place that we can't even imagine called heaven. Like your best life now? Give me a break. But I promise you this, you can live your life the best now if you live it for Jesus. The Holy Spirit, what did Jesus say he would do? Make us feel amazing? No sugar does that, right? Caffeine. Somebody said, if you want to feel something, I remember an old pastor friend of mine say one time, he was so mad with people saying, I just want to feel something. He said, well, stick, a, stick your finger in a socket. And then come back and let's study the word. I want to feel something. No, the Holy Spirit is not a feeling. Christianity is not a glandular religion. You can have a bad meal at night and have a dream. That's not a prophetic vision from the Spirit. What did Jesus say about the Spirit? He said in John 16, he guides us in truth, the Logos. Jesus said he will not speak of himself. So people that say, well, the Spirit said this and the Spirit and the Holy Spirit and the Holy... No, the Spirit doesn't talk about himself. He points to Jesus. The Spirit speaks what has already been revealed by the Father and by Jesus. He glorifies Jesus. He declares Jesus. And then I had to put this last point on here because it matches the text in John 16, but I had an experience this week counseling a professing Christian brother who had someone in his life tell him, well, you know, I've prayed about this and the Holy Spirit has given me peace about this. Well, what was the this? Sin, wrong, wrong. The Holy Spirit is not a rogue thinker that will defy the Trinity, deny the word, and lead you to rebellion against revealed teaching. I don't care how peaceful you feel, again, there's medicine for that. This is not a feeling, it's what does the word say? If we're gonna keep in step with the spirit, we have got to be people of the book. The spirit does not operate automatically on a believer's will. Wouldn't it be awesome if it was on autopilot and every time the battle came up, we just flipped the switch, it's like, <laughs> You know, Holy Spirit's gonna fight this battle. I'm not even gonna have to, like, the Oreos don't even bother me and I'm not even tempted by them. Holy Spirit, take it. 
There's that terrible image of that lady on some game show and she's saying, Holy Spirit, activate. Holy Spirit, activate. Before she answers a game show, that's not how any of this works. And that's not who he is and how he does things. We yield to the Spirit. We lean in. We obey God's Word and the Spirit wins the battle for us. He waits to be depended on and when we depend on him and when we lean on him, when we yield to his control, it's not that we get more of God, it's that he gets more of us. We invite him into every nook and cranny of our lives and say rule and reign, Jesus. I can't afford for you to be my co-pilot. I'm going to mess it up. I'll grab the wheel. I'll, I like in driver's ed, I'll pump the brakes on this side. No, lock me in the trunk and take me where you want me to go. We come to this antagonism, though I said, the Holy Spirit and the desires of the flesh. What are we talking about? Well, Paul uses the word evident. We're going to get to that. He says it's obvious it's obvious what the works of the flesh are, and I'll get to those in a moment. It's obvious what they are, the deeds of the flesh. Later on, he would say, it's also obvious that if you sow to the flesh, you're headed for corruption. If your life, I mean, if all I sow in our backyard garden, which is lush, by the way, because my wife has done a good job taking care of it, I have the job of watering it when she's not home. I try to do well. It's a small garden, but if all we planted was corn, guess what if we follow the rules and God is kind to us in that? Guess what doesn't come up? Peach trees, right? We, we get what we sow. And if you sow to the flesh, one plus one equals two, you're going to reap corruption. Let's look at this obvious mess that Paul points us to. It's our deeds that bring about a mess. It's our work that brings about a mess. It's the deeds of the flesh I'm very conscious that we have ears of all ages in the room. So parents, I'm going to read the text. I'm going to use a word one time, and then I'm going to insert the word carnal for the first categorization of sins. And you can unpack that at home in an age-appropriate way. Let's look at the text. Now, the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, Please don't look at your neighbor. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, this is serious, y'all. Those who do such things, it's a perpetual verb, those who continually do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You say, I don't like that. That's the Bible. It's a truth. There are categories. There are four categories that really kind of emerge if we kind of lump these together. My goal is not to drill down into each sin. Paul didn't. I'm not going to this morning. That's a different series for another day that none of you will come to, right? I don't know if I want to be here for that. But I'm not going to drill down to each one. I am going to paint with the, the brush that, that Paul's using here from the context of the original language and places he speaks about this other places. Categories of sinful behavior that we are going to broach. And hear me, these work against you. They may seem fun for a season. Sin is pleasurable for a moment, but the end is destruction. There's a way that seems right. It seems right in the moment, but the end is destruction. These are working against you. They're working against you in this life and in the life to come. 
They're working against your testimony if you are so easily entangled again. But, but I want you to just focus. Let's focus on the text together, and then, and then we're going to work through this because we're going to stay in context. Here we go. Paul thought this was obvious. Paul thought it was obvious. One of the problems in Galatia was that sin wasn't obvious. Remember the Judaizers? We've talked about them a lot. They came in and said, hey, it's sin if you Jews hang out with uh, Gentiles. That's sin. You shouldn't eat a meal with a Gentile. That's a sin. And they're going, that's a sin? I don't, that's a sin? Right? Hey, listen, if you Gentiles want to be saved and you're not circumcised, that's a sin. The Gentiles are going, really? I don't, where is that? The Galatians were confused about what sin was. Paul is going to bring it to a point for them and says it's evident because everybody else seemed to know what it was all around. He alludes to that even in Romans 1. It's probably helpful for us this morning too to take a moment and reflect on how much of this can be lost on us today. History records the two most immoral periods of human history took place, one, at the time of the Roman Empire. There's no disputing that. The second most immoral period of human history, go home and look at your calendar. We're living in it. We are reliving the evil period with a rampant craving for pleasure, and that's considered normal. For many in the West, life is simply wrapped up in this, the pursuit of pleasure at any cost and the avoidance of pain at any cost. That is not the life that God called us to. That's a cheap trade-off for it. In our present day, anything goes. In our present day, whatever works for you. In our present day, ah, you do you. Wrong. With all that in mind, let me show you where that leads. The works of the flesh are these. There are the first category. Thank you, Mark. I got ahead of myself. Sexual sins. I'm going to use the word carnal. We listed them in the verse, but it also includes uncontrolled lust. Adultery. Fornication, any passionate expression like that outside of marriage is sin. Homosexual practice is included explicitly in the words of Christ in the New Testament, in the New Testament no matter what the progressive Christian on TikTok says. Pornography, prostitution, avoid these things. These sins grieve the Holy Spirit. They don't just affect the sinner, they affect the sinner, the one offended against, and the culture around us because they destroy the core unit of society. They work against the family. It's a graphic display of self-centeredness. It dishonors those made in the image of God. It violates God's plan for marriage. It's totally opposite of love, which is a fruit of the Spirit. There are carnal sins and there are religious sins. Idolatry and sorcery are mentioned and you're like, Pastor Jack, come on, idolatry? I don't know anybody carving stuff and bowing down to it. Well, maybe not, although that happens still today in our zip code. But let's talk about the things that can easily become idols in our life. Anything that we love more than God, anything that we can't do without can become an idol. We have printed on our money and God we trust, we may have it backwards. Because you watch the economy continue to tank and watch how many people lose their minds because in money 
they trust. But this also includes occult involvement. We've sanitized occult involvement in modern entertainment. God has not. False religions, new age spirituality, superstition, materialism. These are religious sins. How about the social and relational sins that he mentions here? Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. By the context of the New Testament, it also includes things that are destructive to families, things that are destructive to churches and communities like slander and gossip and harboring bitterness and bearing grudges and taking revenge and road rage and unforgiveness and physical and verbal and emotional abuse. Relational sins, social sins, finally personal sins of excess and indulgences. Drunkenness is mentioned, orgies are mentioned. We Westerners go one direction with that last word, but the word actually in the original language means these parties that become so unhinged and destructive that everybody loses self-control. So it doesn't have to go the one direction to qualify. Drug addiction, alcoholism, bar hopping, gluttony, Anything where you willingly surrender your self-control for the consumption of pleasure. These are works of the flesh, deeds of the flesh. And then he says, as if it's not enough, he says, and things like these. So we can't go and say, hey, wait a minute. I I struggle with so-and-so, but it ain't a sin because it ain't in that list, right? One of our presidents made the statement, well, I don't know that cocaine is wrong. It's not mentioned in the Bible. Okay, well, how do you respond to statements like that? You did change the channel, I guess. This is awful. It's a dreadful list. People who are comfortable running in these lanes are not Christians. Right? Am I, am I stretching that? People who are comfortable and consistently run in these lanes, who are consistently abandoned to these categories, the Bible says are not inheriting the kingdom of God. They are headed toward destruction. That stings. Happy Father's Day to me. Gracious. How foolish it would be for me to come and have you in here and preach some happy little something and send you out on your way filling up and ignoring God's word. Listen to me, friends. This is serious business. We are called away from the garbage of this and to a beautiful life in the Spirit. Why would you even give that a second glance? Now, let me say this too because this happens in the hands of legalists. Sometimes those outside the faith will grab this list and try to judge us. We're not talking about a saint who's having a bad day or struggling with a moment of jealousy or a parent who's dealing with anger. Again, none of us in the room, but people, right? This is not what we're talking about. This is not a checklist to bludgeon brothers and sisters across the head with and say, there's no way you're saved because that one time you said this and it hurt. You harmed me. That's not what this is. 
This is, again, not a pass for bad behavior. It's a call to be filled with the Spirit, but it's showing people who live in these lanes, it doesn't matter they come to church, if they live in these lanes and they're not convicted and there's no repentance, there's a problem according to what the Scripture says. Well, the Bible shows us two sharply contrasting pictures. Let's get off of that quick and get on to the fruit of the Spirit. I love that Swindoll describes it like two military forces on opposite sides of a battlefield, but they are unequally matched. The deeds of the flesh, ill, right? And the fruit mm, of the Spirit. Our second or third point this morning, it's obvious, his best. Our mess, over here, his best, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, it's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, it's self-control. Against such things there is no law. How many fruits? Now look at the word fruit. Don't count the, don't count the attributes. Look at the word fruit. Is it fruit or fruits? Fruit, one fruit. But we've all seen the artwork, right, where it's like, and the, the joy is the clump of apples, and the, the, uh, this, the oranges are the the peace or whatever it is, right? Uh, we, we've seen things like that, but, but I want you to picture more this. I think it's more consistent with the Bible teaching and actually the picture that Paul's using. It's like a cluster of grapes. It's, it's one fruit, but there's so many things you can pick off of there. One vine running through the middle, and the vine is the Holy Spirit. He's the one producing the fruit. So let's pluck that first couple of grapes and see how they can categorize these. I'm gonna give you three kind of groups of these fruits. The first deals with the mind, habits of the mind which find their source in God. The Holy Spirit wants to transform your mind by the word of God so that what you're meditating on, watch this, is not everything falling apart and the anxiety of the world but love and joy and peace. Wow. They're ours for the taking. Right off the vine when we yield to the Holy Spirit. Anybody need your mind worked on? I do, I do. I need to lean in to the Holy Spirit. I need to spend more time in God's word. How about, does anybody need any help reaching out to others or is everybody in your life got it made in the shade and they're gentle and wonderful to deal with? Because people are awesome, yeah? We're gonna close with a hymn of everything is awesome. No, <laughs> wrong, because we've met people. But look at the attributes, patience, kindness, goodness. Don't you like being around people who are that way? And they like being around you when you're filled with the Spirit. Reaching out to others. General conduct of the believer, look at it. Our life ought to be marked by faithfulness to God, faithfulness to our church family, our earthly family, gentleness in the way that we deal with each other. Don't think of gentleness as weakness but boldness under control of the Holy Spirit. Gentle in the way we, we don't get riled up at everything the world gets riled up. We get backed into a corner and the fruit of the Spirit comes out, not the venom that the world has. Self-control, God help us in the area of self-control. Look at this fruit, it's amazing. All right, let me illustrate it for you this way, it was helpful for me. A fellow writing in his journal said, you know, it's easy to display the fruit of the Spirit when you're in a library full of great books with a fresh cup of coffee and silence or your favorite music playing and the warm waves of sunshine are splashing through the window while you're in your air-conditioned space and you're like, I just, I love Jesus. 
Life is good. I see Kermit sipping that Lipton now, right? Life is good. It's easy, but how about when the flight is delayed because of mechanical issues and everybody's gotta be somewhere. It's Father's Day weekend or probably better, Mother's Day weekend when people actually go. Mother's Day weekend and, and everybody's gotta be somewhere and, and, and everybody's upset and everybody's mad. He says, here it is. Um, everybody was livid, had unreasonable expectations of everyone. He said, let me apply this fruit to my life now. I need love because this lady just sneezed on me. How about joy when they took away our only form of entertainment? They canceled the in-flight entertainment. Peace when everybody else is in a panic. Patience when we've been irreversibly delayed and it's affected all of our schedules. Kindness when we're on the edge of being hangry. Do you know what that means? Hungry, angry, okay. Goodness when we all wanna lash out at everybody. Faithfulness, when everything in us tells us to take our cue from the majority. Gentleness, when the flight attendant is scowling at me and I didn't do anything. Self-control, when I've already lost it inside. Only a fool gives vent to his rage. We need to lean into the Spirit and ask the Lord to control us. When we have the late takeoffs, the long grocery lines, and you got in the wrong line again, and you're just trying to get out of the place. Busy restaurants, traffic jams, difficult situations at home. That's when we need the Holy Spirit, where the rude rubber meets the road. And why does it matter? Verse 24, because we belong to Christ. We're his ambassadors. And if we belong to Christ, we have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Can I unpack this verse for you? It's very complicated theologically. Here's how it goes. Jesus saved me. I belong to Jesus. And when I said yes to Jesus, I said no to the passions and desires of my flesh that work against Jesus. There's your deep theological explanation of the verse. He said it earlier, remember? I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live by the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. But we're just about to finish up this morning. I'm coming to the end. The last two verses of our text this morning, they fit here, but they're also hinges that lay the groundwork for Galatians 6 starting. So I'll, I'll take a little more time with these next two verses here, but I want to include them because they fit contextually. The last point I would say is we need to stay on guard. Here's the verse. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. My final point this morning is on guard. We need to stay on guard. We need to keep in step. We need to be on guard when we're tempted to be pulled away by our own sinful, selfish desires. And when we sense that, we get into the word. We ask the Holy Spirit to do a deep, abiding work in us. This is what Christian liberty looks like. It's the Holy Spirit having more and more control of our lives, living by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit. How do we do that? How do we do all that, Pastor Chad? You've, you've, you've convinced us that we need to do it. We get it. But you've not told us how. Here it is. You ready? Read your Bible. Pray every day and you'll grow, grow, grow.
If we're going to keep in step with the Spirit, we've got to be men and women of the book. Remember earlier, we talked about this not being a feeling. The Holy Spirit guides us in truth. He won't speak of himself. He speaks what's already been said by the Father and by the Son. He glorifies Jesus. He declares Jesus. And he does this as we get into the Word so the Word can, Grace Covenant, get into us. We are not really serious about walking in the Spirit or keeping in step with the Spirit if our Bibles stay closed and on the shelf to only grab to bring to church on Sunday morning as a prop. That's the flesh warring against the Spirit. As Julia comes to the piano now and we get ready to respond in worship to this, I just want to remind you our walk matters. Why? Because we belong to Christ. Our steps matter, don't they? We're either carrying the message of life to a world that needs it, or we are following the rest of the world looking like we're towing the line with their culture of death and destruction. We're a visual sermon. What are you preaching? Can I say a word to the dads this morning that are in church since it's Father's Day? We too are a visual sermon, and our work, unlike some others, will be copied and pasted the way that we walk. It's a little poem from yesteryear. I don't know that I've ever said the word yesteryear from the pulpit. I've been dying to fit it in somewhere. So here's a poem from yesteryear. I don't, I don't know if it's a place or what. Anyway, it's walk a little plainer, daddy. Walk a little plainer, daddy, said a little boy so frail. I'm following in your footsteps and I don't want to fail. Sometimes your steps are very plain. Sometimes they're hard to see. So walk a little plainer, Daddy, for you are leading me. I know that you once walked this way many years ago, and what you did along the way, I'd really like to know, for sometimes when I'm tempted, I don't know what to do. So walk a little plainer, Daddy. I must follow you. Someday when I grow up, you are like what I want to be. <clears throat> then I'll have a little boy who might want to follow me. And I want to lead him right and help him to be true. So walk a little plainer, Daddy. We're all following you. Daddy, walk in the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, teach us to be people of your word because the law of the Lord is perfect. It revives our souls. Your testimony is sure. It makes us wise. Your precepts are right. 
They cause rejoicing in our heart, Lord. Your commandments are pure. They open our eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether, Lord. Your word is to be desired more than gold, even fine gold, sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. Lord, by your word you warn us, and by your word you reward us. Help us today, Lord, to surrender our lives afresh to your leading and guiding. Help us to be men of the word, women of the word, because we belong to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.